0: It's the 1980s, and a storm is brewing in the UK. Tension between the working classes and those in charge is growing.
1: Political consciousness was kind of raised in the mid-1980s with the minor strikes.
0: That's Lindsay. Lindsay started getting into politics when the government began shutting down coal mines across the UK, including in her hometown of Liverpool.
1: I became properly politically active in about
0: 1987. The closure of the mines left a lot of people she knew out of work and out of pocket. People started protesting. And it wasn't just the miners. People from all walks of life were getting involved.
1: Lots of kids, pensioners, trade unionists. So they were really varied, really energetic and angry and hopeful. And you would just come home feeling like It would spare you on, you know. It was like a driving force.
0: But it was at one particular protest Lindsay went to that things started to get a little messy.
1: We stood and watched, basically, as police officers dragged protesters through the police lines.
0: Dozens of officers were mounted on horses, dressed in full riot gear, carrying weapons.
1: They were dragging protesters through the first line, to another line of police behind them who were basically hitting them with truncheons, arresting them.
0: As teenage Lindsay watched, it became apparent to her the lengths the authorities would go to to silence an angry mob. But it didn't prepare her for her own dealings with the police. Dealings that would make her and the people around her question everything.
1: I became really quite angry very quickly. I just... The level of abuse that he'd kind of committed to all of us.
0: I'm Alzo Slade, and from Something Else, this is Cheap. The show where we ask the question is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, activism and the police. What's the line you can't cross in an undercover operation? It's fair to say activists and the police don't have the best of relationships. I've witnessed protests that have escalated and ended with violence. I've personally been maced, pepper sprayed, thrown to the ground, and even shot with rubber bullets by authorities. It's easy to have contempt for police in situations like this. But that's the thing. Both sides usually blame each other. The police say they're just doing their job, and the activists think the police can't wait to use force on them. These battles are played out in plain sight. They're filmed with camera phones, and people are sometimes held to account. This, however, is the story of what happened when the war went underground, and the police implemented cloak-and-dagger techniques that really blurred the line between what's acceptable and what isn't. It's 2015 and British Home Secretary Theresa May is due to give a statement in Parliament. On her agenda today is the police, specifically those tasked with policing political activists from the 60s and onwards. There are only a handful of MPs in the room, but even with a small audience, her words are set to travel far and have huge consequences.
1: Given the gravity
2: of what has now been uncovered, I have decided that a public inquiry led by a judge is necessary to investigate undercover policing
1: and the operation of the SDS. But what
0: exactly was Theresa May talking about? What had the police done to warrant a public inquiry? Who better to ask than an actual cop?
3: Yeah, I'm Jack Morell.
0: That's Jack, a true crime novelist and host of the Psycho Killer podcast. But before writing about crime, he was fighting it.
3: I was a British police officer for my 30-year career from 1985 to 2015.
0: Jack was an officer in the UK in the 1990s, at a time when the police were taking a lot of interest in political activist groups, specifically animal rights activists. So much so that they set up a whole unit to monitor these groups.
3: I think it was the National Public Order uh, Intelligence Unit was formed in the UK
0: to sort of coordinate how uh, the UK deals with it the National Public Order Intelligence Unit. A lot of words that don't even make a good acronym. Amongst other things, the employee were involved in trying to get a gauge on what protests were happening and where. How
3: will they be traveling? What are the motivations? And to try and consider whether it's all going to go wrong, whether there's going to be disorder,
0: damage. In order to get this information, the cops needed, well, you know, informants. A snitch, basically. Someone within these activism groups that was willing to share with the police the who, what, when, how, and where of upcoming marches and demonstrations.
3: The idea that police informants were somebody smoking a cigarette in a bar and writing stuff on the back of a cigarette packet weren't quite true. The the term now is uh, covert human intelligence source.
0: The trouble was, most political activists didn't particularly like or trust the police. I mean, why should they? For them, they were the other side, the guys who arrested them at protests, hit them with batons. I mean, the majority sure as hell ain't gonna be snitching for them or be a covert human intelligence source, to use Jack's phrase. It was clear that the cops needed a different way to get the information they needed. If the activists weren't gonna speak to them freely, They'd have to go behind enemy lines. And by that, I mean, go undercover. You know, I've always wondered about going undercover. I've never really had to do it myself in any of my stories, but I actually know someone who has. My producer for this story, Calf. Hey, hey, Calf, man, how's it going, bro? Top of the morning, top of the morning. I'm really curious about the psychological effects of going undercover. I'll start off by saying it's
4: super cool. I had my first undercover assignments when I was 18, and I don't know many 18-year-olds who can say they've worn secret cameras and pretended to be someone else.
0: You thought you were like some James Bond dude or something.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But without the license to kill. Just to be clear, I didn't (laughs) shoot anyone.
0: (laughs) And... How long did you have to go undercover? How how long was your assignment? Uh, The longest I've done is about one and a half months.
4: And that that was a proper full-on embed, which is where you're pretty much spending your entire life day to day with the
0: group that you basically been sent to spy on. So your job is to ingratiate yourself with these people, get them to trust you and I imagine in that time you are establishing a connection with these people so what is the level of dishonesty that you engage in in order to do this job
4: you want to get them to open up to you and the way you do that is by removing any
3: doubts that you're fed or in my case you're a journalist let's be clear I'm a lot of the people that I was embedded
4: with, I wasn't from that background. I had to relearn a completely different life, completely different way of speaking in some cases. Let's say one of my targets was a bunch of Nigerian thoughts, I'm not going to be speaking like this because this is someone who sounds like the man, the feds. What I did in that case, was changed the way I was speaking. In fact, I changed my accent. So you hear me like this, this is Kev speaking. But right now I'm, I'm speaking like... Um, who was one of the characters that I was playing. And that that removes any doubt because what what British policeman is going to be speaking like this?
0: Did you feel like you were cheating while undercover?
4: Oh, yeah, 100%. And even
0: when you know that your, your undercover
4: assignment has passed the test of approval in the sense that it's justified, there's evidence of wrongdoing, and you're ultimately exposing behavior that's in the public interest, even when you know all these things, I I personally couldn't help feel like some sort of cheat (laughs) because at at the end of the day you're lying to people and um, sometimes I, I just go home and just have a shower, just as a sort of way of washing away the guilt
0: There's no two ways about it Undercover officers, they lie and they cheat and when you're cheating at a pro level, you got to be ready for all the work that comes with it.
3: It's like doing an audition for a show, isn't it? The actor's got to look right. He or she has got to have the right background that makes, makes it believable. You know, you've got to believe the actor on stage, so you've got to believe the undercover operative
0: who's deployed. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of hassle getting a story together that's believable. Then you got to practice the story over and over again until it becomes second nature. These undercover officers are basically state-sanctioned master cheats. But even with the backing of the law behind them, there were still rules that they had to follow.
3: There has to be a code of conduct that they would sign up to. The red lines to cross are certainly the contact to the agent provocateur, somebody who instigates criminal activity, they've got to be a minor player in the criminal activity.
0: I mean, even if they pretend to be a minor player, I'm sure they still have to form relationships with the big dogs.
3: And the relationships forming, or the risk of relationships forming, they have to have it documented how they will deal with that. And to report back, and if it start to go wrong, there will always be an exit strategy.
0: As you can imagine, not all officers play by these rules. For some, their mission came first, and they were even willing to break the law to uphold the law. That's some psychological gymnastics right there, if you ask me. More on that after the break.
2: Welcome to True Spies.
0: We're in the 90s. It's about a decade after the mining strikes in the UK. People have largely moved on from that issue, but protesters haven't stopped. Now, Lindsay, who just 10 years before watched as police use violence against a crowd of people from her hometown, was now part of a group called the Socialist Party, fighting against the policies of the right-wing UK government led by Margaret Thatcher. A lot of these policies included higher taxes and little government support and they were taking a toll on the poorest in society. All this was enough to make Lindsay rise up and fight for change.
1: I think if you have a a certain sensitivity to other people, other people's suffering, or if you see around you family members, friends who are struggling financially, I think you do form a political consciousness because you want to better the way people are living.
0: Another person who had formed that political consciousness was Jess.
2: I was sort of quite into animal rights. That was my big passion at the time.
0: Back in the 90s, Jess was part of an animal rights group known as the Hunt Saboteurs, campaigning for animal rights and doing everything in their power to raise awareness about the treatment animals were facing at the hands of hunters and large corporations.
2: We'd be outside Boots or McDonald's handing out leaflets on sort of the weekends, telling people about what some of the practices were from these um, shops. So, yeah, there was always some kind of demonstration.
0: Lindsay and Jess were part of different groups, campaigning for different issues, but they asked to be interviewed for this program together. Back then, they'd spend their days fighting for their respective social causes, going to protests, attending talks, and handing out leaflets. Their activism provided them with a purpose. But this wasn't the only thing Lindsay and Jess found in these activist groups. They also found love. Jess met a dude named Andy.
2: I was 19 at the time when I met Andy, Andy Van, I knew him as. And he would come out on the hunt demonstrations and he would come out when we were doing the picketing.
0: You know, more times than not, falling in love ain't easy. It's not like the movies where you just lock eyes with someone and instantly decide, boom, that's the one. Sometimes it can be a slow, bumpy ride. And sometimes that first moment of intimacy with the person who'll later become your partner doesn't always come with fireworks.
2: One night, he was around, and we were either watching like a film or TV, and we were both sort of sat on a bed. He either spoke to me or... I turned to speak to him and all of a sudden he just kissed me. I mean, I was only 19 and I hadn't had sort of a proper boyfriend before. And, you know, was quite kind of, I don't know, i was very young for my age and like very inexperienced and incredibly awkward.
0: Andy was a little bit older than Jess. She went with it. Things kind of progressed for her and Andy. However, they never really clicked.
2: I finished the relationship with him after over a year because I think, you know, by that time, I realized that our relationship wasn't right. There was just something sort of missing.
0: Lindsay, however, met this dude named Carlo, and that was a different story. He was sincere, likable, and a key part of the activist group she was a part of.
1: I was a bit reserved because of the previous sad ending to a a very important relationship. He worked very hard to actually bring those barriers down and to get me to trust him.
0: As time went on, Lindsay warmed up to Carlo. She started to let her guard down and open up to him. Their relationship started to blossom.
1: So he booked us a surprise holiday in Venice and didn't tell me until we were, you know, we were gonna leave a couple of days later. Uh, and it was just the most beautiful, romantic holiday. I very clearly remember him telling me he loved me on the plane over. It was just perfect, you know, and I, and me reciprocating at that point.
0: Seems like this dude is pretty smooth. I mean, he's laying it on kind of thick. Surprise trips across the world with the magical words of, I love you. But... Before long, cracks started to emerge in Lindsay's relationship.
1: So the first time he disappeared for four days, and bear in mind, although we didn't see each other every day necessarily, we were in contact every day. And so to disappear for four days, for him to be completely uncontactable, really rang alarm bells.
0: Yeah, going missing in action, that's not really romantic.
1: He also began to show a little bit of disdain for me, you know, just a little. He wasn't as interested in meeting up. He was. He would break dates, which he'd never done before.
0: After a while, Lindsay said, enough is enough.
1: And so I also brought the relationship to a close.
0: Breakups are never easy. Actually, they suck, especially when you have to end things with someone you love and you see a future with. But somehow, somewhere, we find the strength to carry on with life. And that's exactly what Jess and Lindsay did. Until one day, news broke that turned their lives upside down. It's 2010, and a group of environmental protesters are appealing a criminal sentence. They've been accused of plotting to occupy a strategically important power station in the UK and potentially shut down power to the whole country. Their fate seems sealed. And then, out of nowhere, a twist a saving grace.
3: There were two strands of investigation, really. One was the conduct of the undercover deployment, and secondly was the record keeping, I suppose, and the disclosure of case material to the trial of several people who were charged with planning to close down a power station, which obviously is a pretty major occurrence.
0: It soon came to light that one of the police officers who'd gathered evidence against these environmental protesters hadn't been disclosed to the defense team. And this wasn't just any old cop. It was an undercover officer, and his name was Mark Kennedy. He, uh,
3: well, he was deployed for seven years, which, okay, is fair enough, but, you know, there's risks with that.
0: Seven years? That's a seriously long time to be undercover investigating activists. I mean, I feel like if you're undercover for that long, you might as well say that that's just your new life. As the case unfolded in court it became clear that Mark had taken this job too far.
3: It turns out that in the seven years, he was forming long-term sexual relationships with some of the activists who, who he, was, he was deployed against.
0: So this cop, Mark Kennedy, who'd been given strict rules not to form any intimate relationships, decided to, well, break these rules and form intimate relationships. Now, rule-breaking is bad, but what if he had a reason, an excuse? Going undercover comes with a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And Mark Kennedy's deployment wasn't your standard undercover op. Most ops last around 12 months, and then it gets reviewed. Kennedy was undercover for seven years, and when you're living a double life for that long, do you even remember who you were in the first place? Surely you're bound to crack at some point.
3: Mark Kennedy claimed the Stockholm syndrome, where if people have heard the term where people, particularly with been hostage, they they start to develop a sympathy and even a a relationship and attraction towards their captors.
0: No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Captors? Who's the captor? The cop going undercover? Dude, you may get messed up in the head from undercover work, but a captor? Nah, I don't think so.
3: If he's deployed for seven years in such a covert way, you know, his own relationship, whether he's married, his own family, they're going to, you know, that relationship with his family and his immediate people around him is going to suffer. And then he's vulnerable to forming new relationships. And this is what, clearly what happened. Now, I'm not condoning it. It's wrong. It should have been managed better. But human beings, even covert police officers, you know, have, have weaknesses.
0: When this information was discovered, the case against the environmental activists was dropped. But that was only the beginning. Many more activists outside the case started to suspect they too had been spied on and they were demanding an investigation. I mean, can you imagine the head scratching from all the activists? They were probably looking at the person they were dating like, wait a minute, you came into my life kind of strong. Could you be a cop? In the end, those in power caved and a public inquiry was launched to investigate the methods of undercover police officers working for the National Public Order Intelligence Unit.
3: It's the public inquiry which promises to uncover undercover policing. The extraordinary unorthodox infiltration methods used by officers over five decades.
0: Here's a news report from the UK's Channel 5 News in 2015.
3: And we'll look at the extent to which police had sexual relationships with members of activist groups to manipulate them
2: i got a um a message from somebody on facebook and then sort of brought up this you know oh, have you seen this about the spy cops and he said basically oh, there was um you know we now know that there were undercovers in our groups and you know some of them had been identified
0: this investigation known as the Undercover Police Inquiry, had published the cover names and photos of 69 undercover officers that had infiltrated activist groups from the 60s all the way through to the early 2000s. Eager to find out if her group had been targeted, Jess started doing some digging.
2: So I'm sort of scrolling through and, you know, reading about stuff.
0: It was then that she came across a face that she knew all too well.
2: And then I come across a picture of Andy, And just, it floored me, to be honest. You know, you can't, it's just to describe the feelings and the thoughts that go through your head. Oh my God, that's my ex.
0: The man she knew as Andy Van, her ex, her first boyfriend, was secretly an undercover police officer sent to spy on Jess and her friends. And he wasn't the only one. Turns out Lindsay's ex-boyfriend, Carlo, was also a spy cop.
1: He was supposedly a locksmith. So when he wasn't with me, I thought he was at work. And when he was with me, I thought it was leisure time, but actually it was the absolute opposite. So when he was with me and us as a group of people, he was being paid. Then he'd go home to his family, wife and young child who were just a few miles away from where we often stayed together.
0: So this Carlo guy, who claimed he was a locksmith, but... Was actually an undercover officer, also had a wife and kids while he was meant to be in love with and dating Lindsay. Whew, I am exhausted and stressed just thinking about it. As more details about these undercover officers were published in the inquiry, Jess and Lindsay learned further truths about the men they'd given a large part of their lives to.
2: Instead of being 24, which I thought he was actually 32 at the time, and I mean, that's probably been the biggest issue that I've had with all of this because, you know, I know at 19, had somebody said to me, A relationship with someone in their 30s, my 19 year old self would have said, ew, that's gross. 32
0: with 19? I mean, yeah, it's legal, but barely. And I feel like these dudes were really engaging in legally sanctioned affairs with young women.
2: And that's kind of how it feels, is that I was deceived into having a relationship with someone that, A, never existed and was considerably older than me.
0: The more Jess and Lindsay read, the more they learned. It soon became clear to them that they hadn't just been lied to, they'd been emotionally manipulated as well.
1: Carlo told me that he had a son From a previous relationship, a disastrous, short-lived, disastrous relationship. He had a son. He swore me to secrecy. He said he hadn't told anybody else. That's a technique, I think, to emotionally bring you closer to that person because they're sharing a secret with you. They're asking your advice, asking you to keep something to yourself, you know.
0: All this just to gather intel on a group of protesters? Make no mistake about it. What went down between the activists and the police wasn't a case of some officers going rogue. Mark Kennedy was one. And yeah, maybe that was an anomaly. Andy makes two, and that's a coincidence. Carlo is number three. That's a pattern. But 69 officers? I mean, the folks on the receiving end of this abuse, they say it's proof of systematic cheating.
2: It's it's not, wasn't ever just one rotten apple, you know, it's an entire rotten orchard.
0: More on that after the break. Many of the officers involved deny any wrongdoing. Some of them claim that they were simply doing their job, you know, completing their mission of protecting society.
3: We can assume that this undercover officer provided valuable intelligence of other activities and other things happening in different places in the country. When I've been involved in stuff, I've had to do something that I do out of my duty, and I, I know it's it's justifiable and proportionate. Whether I have any sympathy with one or the other, you've got to put that to
0: one side. you got to ask yourself, though, In a world where there are terrorists, rapists, murderers, drug dealers, fraudsters, why go to such extreme lengths to police a group of people who are simply exercising their democratic right to freedom of speech? I mean, yeah, some protesters were committing what could be deemed as criminal damage, but does that mean they deserve to be spied on, emotionally violated, and their privacy invaded?
1: The Undercover Police and Inquiry have told us that over a thousand political groups were infiltrated since 1968. And those are like, you know, groups like the Young Liberals, you know, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. Peaceful groups, not necessarily radical groups. I think it's an exercise in political control.
0: Duty and mission aside, finding out the love you had with someone was never real, Hell, finding out the person you loved was never real. That shit hurts.
1: For months afterwards, there was just this constant anxiety that I felt in the pit of my stomach. It was like constant butterflies. There was always an anxiety. You give someone
2: that thinks they're James Bond, you give them the promise that they will have like anonymity and they're doing a great job for the nation. And, you know, you really sort of like make them feel like they're something special. And. They just abused it. You know, they abused every power that they had.
0: The experience of Lindsay and Jess and all other activists who were tricked into sexual relationships by undercover officers is enough to knock anyone flat on their back. But just like they did in the 90s, these activists are continuing to fight for what they believe is right. The police have won their secret battle, but the war doesn't seem to be over just yet. Activists like Jess and Lindsey have regrouped their forces and have launched a counterattack. They formed a group called Police Spies Out of Lives. They're using the law to demand justice against the very officers of the law who wronged them all those years ago. Their efforts, it seems, are successful. They've even managed to get the cops to admit what they did was wrong and shouldn't have happened in the first place.
3: Thanks in large part to the courage and tenacity of these women in bringing these matters to light, it has become apparent that some officers, acting undercover while seeking to infiltrate protest groups, entered into long-term intimate sexual relationships with women, which were abusive, deceitful, manipulative and wrong. I acknowledge that these relationships were a violation of the women's human rights, an abuse of police power and caused significant trauma I unreservedly apologize on behalf of the Metropolitan Police Service.
0: The undercover police inquiry is still ongoing. It's shaping up to be one of Britain's most complicated, expensive, and longest public inquiries. It's been six years, and it's still not complete. Every now and again, a new detail is published. Another undercover cop is exposed and another woman discovers their previous love life was a state-sanctioned lie. You all know the saying, all is fair in love and war. Well, is it fair to take one of humanity's purest emotions and use it as a weapon to your advantage? Basically, using love to win a war. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next week on Cheat. Coming out of a Chicago political system, I think
3: there was the belief that you can do anything because I'm just horse trading for a better Illinois. When he learned about the fact that he was being surreptitiously taped, he publicly said at a press conference, you know, bring it on. I've got nothing but sunshine all over me. Well... I'm not
0: sure that I would call that sunshine that dripped all over them. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Kaf O'Patta. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.